Hello, welcome to the Free Info Podcast, the podcast where three friends who all discover food have their say on the Premier League. Ladies and gentlemen, you can forgive me for being nervous. We have <laughs> a very special guest, the uh, West Ham legend, Tony Cotty. How are you doing, sir? Evening, boys. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good, thanks. Yeah, I mean, you said obviously it's tough times for everyone at the moment, isn't it? But I think uh, I'm, I'm blessed. We've, we've been working in the football industry and it gets me out of the house and I get to a few of the games and everything. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough during the week. But when I'm working, I'm, I'm happy because I'm going back to football, which is great. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, we joined, obviously, Tony Cotty. Kojo, how are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm good, man. I'm good, man. Obviously, the ever-present minus one. Um, I wasn't going to so, do that this week. I know, I know. I was going nice to be nice to you. I was going to be nice. It feels nice. It doesn't feel right if you don't do it. That means you're just being, you know, a little bit cold. <laughs> um, but, yeah, funny enough, Tony looked at us for about five seconds and realised what Cosby supported. So, this should be a good one. This should be a good one. It was a lucky guess. I mean, I could have picked so many clubs in it and I just plucked it, two things out and I got it spot on, didn't I? Yeah, straight away. Yeah. <laughs> We kind of we're kind of scared that you might be psychic or something like that, rather than no, lucky. No, not that clever. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, if you lead off with the uh, intros. Yeah. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Got to do a little uh, WWE intro style over here. Okay. I'm going to do this a bit like a uh, Michael Buffer. That's boxing, not WWE. Jesus. Right. Here we go. So West Ham legend, 146 goals in 336 appearances, 293 goals in 712. Appearances in all competitions, seven England caps, has played with the likes of Frank Lampard Sr. and Junior, Billy Bonds, Frank, Mac Frank McAvinney, if you haven't seen that partnership, go check that out. Search for Brooklyn, Paul Ince, Liam Brady, and Rio Ferdinand, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tony Cotty. That's right. because <laughs> like Normally you get someone goes on Wikipedia and Wikipedia, and all the stats are wrong and everything, but you actually was bang on with the stats here. So well done, well played. Ah. Awesome. Good start to the show. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. We did check Wikipedia, but we also double checked like West Ham, uh, the West Ham site, uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. So we, we we tried our best to get our stats spot on. Mm. So I guess we'll start at the very beginning. Uh, West Ham, you scored your first goal at age 17. Yeah. Um. What is that sort of pressure like? I mean, everybody thinks that fans are kind of rowdy now, and uh, but back then, I imagine it must have been insane, especially re the reaction to a 17-year-old guy from West Ham, from Forest Gate, uh, scoring on his debut. Yeah, do you know what, okay, I mean, it was it was different for me because, um, you know, I, I was just saying to you before we started that I was actually born in West Ham. Um, my mum and dad were West Ham fans. My my uncles and aunts were West Ham fans. My nans and grandnans, my great nans and grandnans, the, the whole family was a West Ham tree as such. And um, you know, for some bizarre reason, I was I was sort of given a talent to play football. You know, there was you know, my dad used to tell me he was a great player, but um, you know, he played for East Ham and I played for West Ham, which pretty much sums <laughs> it up how good he was. <laughs> which is true, by the way. But um, no, I mean, I I, I grew up. As a mad West Ham fan, and um, you know, I, I used to love going to the, the, all the all the games, and you know, in the seventies, I mean, I'm sure you boys are aware, it was it was certainly a different experience going as a fan with all what was going on, you know, off the field as well as on the field, and um, it was just great for me to go and watch all my favourite players play. And then I left school at the age of fifteen, and within eighteen months, I, I I was making my debut in the game that you just mentioned against Spurs, and so. 
it was really bizarre. It was such a bizarre feeling to you, you imagine just leaving school in the May and then sort of January, not the January after that, but the January after that one, 18 months later, you, I'm playing, I'm starting, I'm scoring against Spurs and we're beating Spurs 3-0. And, you know, as a West Ham fan, it was just such a special debut for me. You know, put it this way, if, if, if you'd have said to me before that game, write down what you want to happen, then exactly what happened, happened for me. And, you know, I, I was very fortunate on that day because a lot of players, you make your debut and it all goes wrong when you get an own goal or something stupid, you know. But for me, it, it was it was incredible. And I, I, listen, we could spend the whole show, me talking to you about how it felt and the feelings and the emotions and that. And I could never really fully get over what it what it meant. And, and I was so young as well. I was 17 years and five months old. And it's, you know, nowadays the players, they don't make their debuts at 17, really, do they? So it was, yeah, it was, it was different times, but really, really special day for me and my family. Beautiful. Um, I want to go forward a couple of years, just two or three years forward. Um, you won Hammer of the Year at 20 years old. Yeah. Um, but you had a partnership with a certain Mr. Frank McAvenny at the same time. How important was he to you um, in your partnership and in your development as a young player also? Well, you, when you've done the intro, Kojo, you, you mentioned Frank, didn't you? And you said, check it out on YouTube and everything. And um, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I made my debut as a 17-year-old and then I then had two full seasons as an 18 and a 19-year-old, which again is, you know, you wouldn't, it wouldn't happen nowadays because you get sent out on loan or whatever. Mm. So I was very much established and, you know, I played over 100 games for West Ham and I wasn't even 20 years of age. And then we went into what was the 1985-86 season. And, um, you know, West Ham signed Frank McAvenny at the start of that season. And they also signed a guy called Mark Ward, who was a good player for West Ham and Everton. And also we had a guy called Alan Devonshire, who was one of the best players that I played with. He came back from injury. Um, and then Frank, as I say, Frank arrived. And, you know, I've got to be honest, I've never heard of him. I didn't know him as a player. He'd come from Scotland, St Mirren, and he came down and he was a breath of fresh air. He was... He was a wonderful player, um, a really, really good team player as well. And, you know, as he was six years older than me, so I'm sort of looking up to him and he was leading the line and chasing defenders and a really, really good all-round player. And he, he started smashing the goals in that season and I had to sort of catch him up. And it was one of only two seasons where I, I ended up, I wasn't top sc scorer for my club. Mm. So, um, you know, when Frank was the top scorer, I won the Young Player of the Year, which was great. Yeah. But you know, Frank was still the top scorer, and I was like, "Wow, you know, he set the standards. I've got to, I've got to catch him." And then the following season, I got the title back as top scorer, which I was pleased about. Yeah. Um, but no, we we was very, very different individuals, um, and as players, we was different players as well. But as a partnership, we gelled. And you know, listen, you guys watch modern day football. You don't really get a partnership up front, mm -hmm. do you? You think of how many teams in the Premier League play with two players up front? It's very, very few teams, but. In those days, everyone played as a, a partnership and that was quite simply the best partnership I had. You know, we, we scored over 100 goals between us in two seasons, just over two seasons, which is an incredible return from just two players. And that was probably why West Ham had a very sort of good season in the league that year. We actually finished third in the league, the old, mm -hmm. the, uh, the old Division One, which is now the Premier League. And, you know, that was West Ham's best ever season. They might actually eclipse that this year. You never know. They're in fourth at the moment. Mm. Um, but at this start, as we stand, that was the best ever season. And a lot of that was down to Frank. Let's go to that season. Obviously, you you scored 20 uh, league goals. Frankie scored four, uh, 26, a uh, total 46 goals. Uh, like you said, the best season uh, in West Ham club history. I mean, I think you, I believe you finished 16th 
the season prior and 15th the season after that. Yeah. So when you were going on this magnificent run, what was going through your head? Was it was the title ever in your in your eye line? Because I think you finished four points off Liverpool that season. Yeah, we did. I think we we got the most points ever by a team finishing third in the in the top flight. You know, that's how good a season it was. All of which doesn't mean anything if you don't win the league. Um, but you know, it was it was just there was no reason for it. Because as you quite rightly said, you know, the season before and the season after, we very nearly got, re we was involved in a relegation battle. So, you know, to have it sandwiched in between West Ham's best ever season, I think it was just a case of, I mentioned the three players that, you know, two were signings, one was coming back from injury. Um, we had a very settled team. I think um, nine of the 11 players that season pretty much played 40 games or more. Um, so it was a very settled team, no injuries, no suspensions, didn't play in Europe. So... Um, very much like Leicester's season from five years ago, where you know we all remember how great Leicester were, and they had a similar season where there was no injuries, no suspensions, didn't play in Europe. The other sort of so-called top teams all sort of disappeared, didn't they? And Leicester went straight down the middle. So um, it was very similar to that. Um, obviously, that season though, we we was up against the two big Merseyside teams. You know, Liverpool had a great team. They had Kenny Dalglish as their manager and. Everton had won the league in 85 and they won it in 87 as well. And of course, in 86, they finished second. So uh, Manchester United, were at, they won the first 10 league games on the trot that season. That's a, you know They had an excellent team as well. Chelsea were good. So, that, you know, there were some big names. But for whatever reason, everything clicked. And I think we got to around about maybe about this time of year. And I think we genuinely thought to ourselves, the players in that West Hampton, we actually thought, you know, we've got a real chance of winning the league here. And, you know, we, we kicked on and unfortunately the weather had been really poor in January and February and we lost a lot of games and we ended up, I think we played 10 league games in 30 days or something crazy like that. And, you know, we got a bit tired towards the end. We lost at home to Chelsea and, and that was it really. And the chance was gone. But if you talk to any West Ham fans, I know you two are very young, but if you talk to any West Ham fans, I think you mentioned maybe your dads or your granddads were West Ham supporters or whatever. If you talk to those those guys and, and they will say that we were the best team that year and we really, really should have won the league. And it's a great shame we didn't. Nope. Yeah. Um, so you also voted uh, PFA Young Players of the Year. Um, so, I mean, obviously, it's nice to win uh, uh, Hammers player, player of the Year, of course. But when you're voted uh, in by your peers, how special does that, that feel? Well, I think that's exactly what it is. It's, it's when you're voted by your fellow players, the players that you're on the pitch and sharing the pitch with. And, um, you know, it was a very special moment for me because um, for me and for the team that year, as you know, you've reeled off all the stats and everything, you know, it did click for me and, and you know, had a very good season. Um, and it just, when you get to the end of the season, it was around about, I think it would have been mid to late April of that season. Then you, you go up to London to the, the Grosvenor Hotel and then you go on the stage and they, you know, give you this fantastic trophy, which is upstairs in my trophy cabinet. And you, you think, wow. And you, I look back now and I think if you think of all the special names, the likes of Paul Gascoigne and Tony Adams and, you know, some really, really special players. I think Alan Shearer might have won it as well. You know, there was some, some really top Paul Merson won it you know there's some real top young players won the young player of the year and uh, you know I, I never got close to winning the the actual top event you know, top um, trophy the players player one but you know for a young kid to to do that you know I look back with really special feelings and special memories about achieving it because when 
when it is your fellow pros that vote for you, you think to yourself, well, you know, you must have done something right that season for the for the players to all vote for me. Um, can I ask? Um, so you had the, obviously a very good success, successful start towards your career at, um, at West Ham. What was the the next step moving to Everton? What was the reason for leaving? Because obviously I know you're like your favourite club, but there's a professional side to the game as well. Um, what was it that made you make that next step going to Everton Football Club? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think um, the modern day equivalent at the moment um, and you guys will associate with this, he's Declan Rice at West Ham, who we all know is a phenomenal player. He's, he's playing really, really well. He's the captain of West Ham. Not that I was ever a captain. I was never, I was never that type of player. I wasn't a captain. You know, I was a goal scorer, but I wasn't a captain. Hmm. But I, I mentioned Declan because I think that there's only two ways that West Ham will keep Declan Rice as, as we stand at the moment. One is to win a trophy. They're obviously out of the FA Cup and League Cup at the moment, so that's not going to happen this year. They're not going to win the Premier League, I don't think, because Man City are probably going to win it. Or to play in Europe is the only two reasons. And I think from my point of view, going back, we're going back, what, 1988, it's 33 years ago, which is a long, long time ago. But I got frustrated, you know, I've already said I'm a, I'm a West Ham fan. I'm back to being a Hammers fan now, which is great, because I love watching them on the telly and everything. So first and foremost, I'm a Hammer. But... There was the personal side of it, which is, in other words, you're a West Ham fan. I don't want to leave the club. I'm a West Ham fan. And then you're quite right. There's the professional side of it. I was ambitious. I wanted to win a trophy. I wanted to play in Europe. And to be quite honest with you, in those days, when you came through the youth system, you never got rewarded financially as well as that you should have done. So okay. they was the three main reasons for me. And I felt, certainly going to Everton, I increased my pay packet. I thought it gave me a chance of winning trophies. And I also thought once the Heisel ban finished in 1990, it also hopefully would give me the chance to play in Europe. And of course, I went to Everton and they won absolutely nothing and I never played in Europe. So <laughs> was it the right decision? I, I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, Everton's a special football club. And, you know, I, it, it's very difficult because hindsight, as we all know, is a great thing. And, we all make decisions in our life, whether it's personally or professionally. And you, you, as time goes by, you question whether it was the right decision or not. And I think, you know, I've got to say hand on heart, at that particular time, it was the right decision for me. I think I was frustrated. Um, I wasn't performing. My last season was probably my worst goals tally, I think, in terms of my, my returns for West Ham. So, um, yeah, I mean, perhaps it was the right time for me to get out. And I, and I had a wonderful time at Everton. I really did. As I, as I, I was there sort of just over six and six and a bit years, which is a long, long time at a football club. And I, I loved every minute of it. But it was sad for me to leave West Ham. There's no doubt about that. I heard, I read somewhere that you were linked to Arsenal as well at the time, as well as, as you had I a choice between Arsenal, Arsenal and Everton. Or Arsenal come into the equation. He did. <laughs> 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 yeah, I read it somewhere. So, what was the decision not to uh, not to join Arsenal, who were under George Graham at the time, I believe? Yeah, I mean, listen, George Graham was a fantastic manager. You, you all know your Arsenal history. You know, he was uh, he won trophies with the club and everything. But you know, I had a, it was a simple choice, and and at the time as well, it was also a British record transfer fee. You know, so you know to put it in perspective, it's it's like the equivalent of, of Paul Pogba. He obviously going from Juventus to Man United in £89 million or whatever it was, you know, that that's the record fee as far as I know. I mean, I might be, right, might be someone going somewhere else at the moment, but you know what I'm saying? It was a British record transfer fee and 
Um, I'm not putting myself in Paul Pogba's class, whatever. Please don't say that in the wrong way. But I'm trying to, trying to say it was a very, very high-profile move. Um, and Everton and Arsenal, it was a simple choice, you know. And I, I think the, the media at the time, you know, obviously there was no social media. There was no, um, even no mobile phones at the time. It, it was very much like um, newspaper-led, really, and what was on the radio and the TV. Yeah. And um, the, the choice was quite simple, you know, Everton or Arsenal. And I went to meet George Graham and uh, I met George twice. And I just felt that he was a little bit, um, what's the word? I have to choose my words carefully. He was a little bit uh, complacent with the sign with me signing. In other words, I, I felt that he just expected me to sign for Arsenal because, listen, I'm a London boy. Um, you know, go, moving from West Ham to Arsenal, you move five miles down the road or whatever it was, you go and play for a London club. Yeah, I mean, of course, I might have won the league at Arsenal. I might have won cups at Arsenal. I understand all that. And, you know, Arsenal fans have taken great pleasure over the years. I might have had to give me a bit of stick and say, you should have signed for Arsenal. At which point, I turn around and say, well, if I'd have signed for Arsenal, you would have never had the pleasure of seeing Ian Wright play because they wouldn't have signed Ian Wright. And that was why they signed Wrighty, because they didn't sign me. So that's my answer to that one. But um, going back to George, he was just, I just felt he expected me to sign for Arsenal. And when I met Colin Harvey, who was the Everton manager, he was much more enthusiastic. And he was like, come to Everton. You're going to score 25 goals a season for us. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And it was just much more positive. And also as well, being totally honest with you, you know, Everton offered me more money than Arsenal. And as I said at the time, money was one of the three reasons that I was looking to move. So, you know, I had to factor it all in. But it was a big gamble because, you know, listen, I knew a lot about Everton Football Club, but I didn't know about where you would live and what it would be like to live mm. on Merseyside. And, mm. you know, it was 250 miles away. And, you know, I had to go up and live there. And, you know, as it turned out, everything was fine. And I loved living up on Merseyside and that. But I didn't know that at the time. So it was a big gamble from my point of view. And some, like, certainly the Arsenal fans would turn around and say, I should have signed for Arsenal. And I understand that. But I also don't regret signing for Everton. Uh, um, like you said... There you go, there you go. Go ahead, go ahead. Like you said uh, earlier, it's 2.2 million. So I think that was the record transfer fee yeah. for a British player at the time. Um, obviously going to Everton. They, I think they, I believe they were Prem, not Premier League, football first Division One champions uh, two times in like five years or something like that. Uh, you go there, obviously, I'm, uh, I'm assuming you wanted to continue that tradition of winning trophies. Uh, what, what do you think went wrong if you think it went wrong at all with with Everton? Um, well, I think you'll laugh at this one. You could sum up my career at Everton, right? So Everton won the league in 1987. Mm. I signed in 1988. I was there for six years, won absolutely nothing, left in 1994. Everton won the FA Cup in 1995. So if ever anything sums it up, it's... Um, Right, so it was the right club at the wrong time. And mm. listen, it can happen for players. It happens now. You, you Sometimes, you you know, you boys will do this. You look at a player and you think, oh, what a great player. Um, Alexis Sanchez, there you go. Perfect example. Yeah. Brilliant at Arsenal. Yeah. Goes to Man United. Kojo, oh. you'll tell me. What was it like? It didn't work for him, did it? Absolute disaster. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I, I'm, I'm not saying I was a disaster because, listen, I, I was there for six years. I was top goal scorer five out of six seasons. I scored 99 goals for Everton. Mm. Um, you know, I I didn't win anything. And if you judge me on winning trophies, of course, it didn't work out for me. But 
I also wasn't an Alexis Sanchez. It wasn't a disastrous move. I only said that to give you an example how certain players can be really good at one club and then go to another club and it just doesn't work out. You know, it, it, you, happens, it happens in football, doesn't it? You know, it, would you compare it to maybe maybe that's Zlatan? I mean, Zlatan has won things at his clubs, but every time there was a sequence where every time he left, that club won the Champions League. Would you compare it to that maybe? Yeah, but you know, but what what can you do? You, it's, it, I don't know. You you make the decisions and the, the, the timing. I just laugh at it now. I just think it, it's funny. But you know, as I said, the, the six years that I was there, six and a bit years, my daughter was born up on Merseyside, and you know, you you know, her birth certificate says born in Southport, which is up on Merseyside, and you you know, you can't change those things. And you know, I had some really really happy times up there on and off the field, and but. You know, I didn't achieve what I wanted to do. I went there, the main reason, I know there was other reasons, but the main reason was to go and win a trophy. That was the main reason for me to go to Everton. So from that point of view, I look back with a bit of disappointment that I didn't do that. I'd love to have known because the Everton fans are, are very, very passionate. Um, actually, very similar to the West Ham fans. They're, they're sort of very working class fans, got a community, family feel about the football club, very, very passionate and love their football club, exactly what the West Ham fans were like. I found the same sort of fans up on Merseyside. So from my point of view, I mean, I played in uh, three finals with Everton. I played in the FA Cup final. I played in, it was a competition called the Simog Cup and then Zenith mm. Data sort of thing. And, a couple of, and I lost three, three finals with Everton. So I never even had the sort of opportunity to feel what it was like to be, a, a, you know, winning a cup final with Everton as well. So... Yes, there was disappointments, but, you know, I look back with great fondness with my time at Everton. I had a great time there, you know. Before we go back to your second spell at West Ham, what is it like playing in the FA Cup final? Because you played quite the thriller against um, one of the Merseyside rivals, Everton, with a great side, as you obviously mentioned, being a Russian and all that. But what is the atmosphere like and what's like a preparation for such a final? Well, I mean, the actual, for, for me, it was like a boyhood dream. And, you know, I mean, if, if you talk to youngsters nowadays and you say, you say to them, like, the... As a footballer, you, you the main thing you wanted to do was to play in the FA Cup final. And if you say that to the youngsters now, they laugh at you and they say, FA Cup final? It's like, mm. you know, well, why would you want to play in the FA Cup final? Surely you'd want to play, you'd want to win the Premier League or play in the Champions League or win the Champions League or win World Cup or whatever. But the, the, the FA Cup final was was the big deal. It really was. So for me to go to Everton and then at the end of my first season to play in the FA Cup final was a real privilege for me and a real boyhood dream come true as such so you know I, I loved being a part of that cup final unfortunately it was the Hillsborough cup final and I'm sure you've seen all the tragic footage and all what happened that you know in that semi-final that Liverpool played against Forest and you know I was playing in the other semi-final obviously and it was Everton against Norwich and you know it, it, it could so easily have been at Villa Park what happened at Hillsborough and all my family and friends were there and everything so you you know it was so horrible to be on Merseyside, you know, with all what went on. It was awful, but the, the two clubs came together. And so when we played the final, it was a very passionate all Merseyside Cup final. And it was wonderful to be a part of it. But being honest, coach, I, I, I had such a bad game. I really did. I had a poor game. I didn't play wow. very well. Um, Alan Anson had me in his pocket. I, you know, I, I didn't get a kick and um, I just let myself down a little bit. And I don't think it helped. I, I got to sleep about four o'clock in the morning and I, I was so excited, genuinely. I was so excited and I didn't like taking sleeping tablets. So, of course, you're laying there wide awake at mm. two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock and 
it doesn't help. And it, it, it was like 95 degrees on the day or something crazy in the final, like it often is on cup final day. And, you know, listen, that's my excuse that way. But I, basically, I had a rubbish game. I didn't play very well. So that was disappointing. But, you know, listen, I look back. Again, I've got my FA Cup runners-up medal. And I can say I played in an FA Cup final. And for me, as a as a kid growing up, as a, you know, as a West Ham fan growing up in the 70s, like, the, you know, the thought of playing in an FA Cup final would have been, wow, yes, please, I'd love to do that. Um, in terms of going from Division 1 to, obviously, what you know now is the Premier League, what was, was there any, I don't know, like, trepidation? Was there any uh, anxiety going from, because I imagine there's a whole, in terms of media coverage, um, there was a massive change. Obviously, the Sky Sports still came in. Yeah. And obviously, I mean... What was your feeling of, of that deal? And two, did it make you play any different? Did it knowing that there was so many more eyes going to be on you? Yeah, I think this, I can answer the second one quickly. Like, it didn't make us play any different, without a doubt. I mean, it was still it was still a privilege to be a footballer, and just because you're not just because the name changed from Division One to the Premier League, and just because there were Sky Sports cameras there, it, it, it didn't alter how I played or how the team played. It, yeah, I mean, it, it was different. Without a doubt, it was different. And I, I think as players, you know, because I, I, I remember at the time that there was there was a lot going on with the PFA and there was, you know, like a lot of players were basically saying, look, we're not getting as rewarded, as well rewarded as we should be. You know, mm. we, you know, don't get me wrong, footballers have always been well paid, even, even the generation before me, in relation to your average working class man, you know, who does his shifts and works nine to five, Monday to Friday, etc. And then they look at what footballers get for training and having a day off on a Wednesday and playing two hours on a Saturday. You know, if you if, if you compare it like that, footballers have always been well paid, of course, and I was well paid in relation. But we also felt that we should be getting more. You know, there was more money coming into the game. There was more sponsorship money. There was more crowds coming back. We They solved the hooligan problem. And everything, you know, they was going towards all-seater stadiums, which, you know, has been one of the best things ever because it's, in, you know, it's it means it's much more of a family environment and safe to take your kids. It's, all that was happening. And as players, I think we was just back in 1992, this obviously was, and we both, as players, we're going, oh, happy days. We, we're going to get some more money here, and um, which was true and which was great. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, I remember reading about Roy Keane being the first £10,000 a week player back in 1995 or whatever it was, a long time ago now. And like, you know, I mean, listen, I was on nowhere near that, but you, you're looking at it thinking, wow, you know, football is really going to a different level here. And then I, I think one of the pundits said like, you know, trust me, someone's going to earn 50 grand a week soon. And like, we all went, no way in a million years, it's never going to happen. <laughs> like, and then you look now and you look at Ronaldo and Messi, you're like, it's not 50 grand a week, you put another zero on it, it's 500 grand a week. And, yeah. You know, and that, I know, I know that's European world football, but you know the Premier League was a, it, it was a great um, advert, advert for, for football. You know, it, it gave the players the platform, it gave them the chance to earn more money. You know, some people obviously would would say that footballers earn too much money, and there's probably a you know a, a good argument in that. You know, because they do get a lot of money nowadays. Um, but as a player, it, it didn't really affect me too much, and, and certainly money wise, it didn't because. I got a little. I I I signed my first five-year deal at Everton, and then I then my, my contract was coming up, and I signed another three-year deal. 
Um, so I got a little bit of a pay rise then. But then when I went back to West Ham, you mentioned it, which is where I, when I left Everton, I went back for my second spell. I actually took a pay cut. So I must have been the only player in the Premier League era who was taking a pay cut and, because I, I wanted to play for my, my, my hometown team again. So I took a pay cut to go back to West Ham because they were struggling financially at the time. And then you look at Roy Keane and Alan Shearer and all the great players at Arsenal and etc. And you know they was all getting their their money was going like that, and my money was going like that. So I, I think I just missed the boat in terms of the finances. But you know, I, I had a great time as a player. You know, it's not always about the money. You know, the, the memories are there, and I had some great memories certainly as a footballer. Um, going back to West Ham now, so. I I want to ask you what brought you back there. There was a hint of it. Um, I saw an interview of yours where you spoke about, I think you played in a friendly or maybe a testimonial, and the West Ham fans gave you like a very warm welcome back. Um, there were boos, but there were friendly boos. Um, what, what was it that took you back home more than anything? Well, what it was, Kojo, I played, um, I mean, the great Bobby Moore died. You know, I don't need to say anything more. That you just say the words Bobby Moore. And, and Bobby, massive... West Ham and England man and one of my heroes as a kid and Bobby died and um, they decided to put on a, a, a game, um, a charity game and, and the game basically was at Upton Park and it was West Ham against a Premier League 11 and what they decided to do, there was 22 Premier League teams at the time, obviously forget West Ham, made it 21 and they said we're going to pick a player from all 21, one player from 21 Premier League clubs, that would be the squad. And they're going to go to Upton Park and play this game, uh, charity match against West Ham, you know, for the Bobby Moore um, charity. And um, I was thinking to myself, well, I was at Everton at the time. And I think, well, surely I must, I must be the one that they must think of to play in this game. But this was five years down the line from when I'd left uh, uh, West Ham. And in that five years, I think it's fair to say that I had very, very mixed reaction from the fans. I think a lot of the fans were disappointed I left. It didn't help. They got re as soon as I left the season after they got relegated, which obviously compounded things. Mm. So when I went back, in general, when they read my name out, you had about half the crowd were clapping and the rest of them boo and all that stuff. <laughs> like, listen, it's football. You know what it's like. So um, very mixed reaction over five year period. And when I went back to play in the Bobby Moore game, and the the uh, the guy came in who does the the, the sort of the MC, and then he said uh, he said. Before we start the game, we're going to read all the names out. All the players are going to be introduced to the crowd. And I'm going, oh, no, my God. Like, if they read my name out and they're booing, this is a charity match. Bobby Moore's just died and all that sort of thing. I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be awful. And But I had to do it and I had to front it out and everything. So, anyway, they go down the line. Read, I can't remember all, most of the players. I can't remember. But they've read all their names out. They all step forward, step back, step forward, step back. And then they went, and number nine for the Premier League 11 is Tony Cotty. And I stepped forward expecting a crescendo of boos. And the whole, the whole ground clapped me. Oh, yeah. okay. And I thought, you know what? Like, and I thought it made me feel really, really, it really touched me because it was the right thing to do on the occasion. And it made me feel, do you know what? If ever I get a chance to go back to West Ham, I think the fans would accept me. And um, that was 1993, I think I'm right in saying. And then in 1994, I went back in the April and uh, I scored for Everton and we beat West Ham 1-0 at Upton Park. So I'm thinking after that one, maybe they won't want me back, you know. But um, anyway, it came out to the September and uh, Harry Redknapp was the manager of West Ham 
and uh, he, he he needed a centre forward and and I spoke to Harry and we got it sorted and I went back to West Ham and I had two and a bit great years back at the club and it, you know it was it was it was lovely for me to go back and it, I almost it was like unfinished business and I went back and I was top scorer for a couple of seasons and I had a really good time and we had some. We had some characters. We had the likes of Julian Dix and Martin Allen and John Monker, Don Hutchison, you know, really, really good characters yeah, and good yeah. players as well. So it was a good football team. Um, I mean, obviously your first game back here, yeah, you scored a hat-trick against uh, Manchester City. I imagine that that obviously... That makes me happy. Okay, listen. I'd love, I love, love the fact you beat me up on that. But it wasn't my first home game. It was my first home hat trick. In the, it, it was about four months after I'd gone back to the club. So, I mean, oh, it, sorry. Yeah, it was so, but it was worse than that because the first game back as a West Ham player was at Anfield, and I got sent off in my That's second right. debut. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get sent off, and I, I you know, it was a stupid tackle. I, you know, I deserved to get sent off, and then. The first home game back as a West Ham player, um, we beat Aston Villa 1-0 and I scored the only goal. So I made up for it a little bit. But sorry, the game you was referring to was in the December when I went back and I got, it was my only league hat-trick at Upton Park. So it was a, that was a sort of special game for me. And I know that makes you happy, Kojo, didn't score an hat-trick against Man City. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you scored the goals against my team, but it wasn't a hat-trick. So I can live with that. No, now. it was a hat-trick, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what were the differences when you when you came back? Because obviously you were under John Lau the first time yeah. at West Ham. So when you went back, it was Harry Redknapp. Um, and obviously you got to see a young Frank Lampard, for example, or young Rio Ferdinand. What were the differences when you rejoined um, West Ham, if there were any? Yeah, I mean, it, it was weird, really. A lot of, I mean, the training ground was the same. Uh, the, the lady who'd done all the food, Shirley, she was still there. Uh, I think the groundsman was still there. The youth team coach was still there. So um, Alvin Martin, Steve Potts were still there from my first spell. So there was still a lot of stuff that was there from before. Bearing in mind, I've been gone for over six years, which is a long time. Um, but there was also new stuff happening. You know, you're right. Harry was in charge, and there was there, there was a lot of new players there that I had to get used to. Um, Slaven Bilic was there. I played with Slaven, mm-hmm. um, and also as well, which was great news for West Ham. They they got the academy back going again because in the 80s, you had the likes of myself, Steve Potts, uh, Alan Dickens, George Paris, Kevin Keane, Paul Lintz, all these great young players came through the academy and they'd had about five year, five, six years spell pretty much while I was away from the club where hardly any players come through. And then, of course, when I came back to the club, I think it was around about 1996 and um, sort of out of the blue, Harry introduced these two young kids to a training session and, I looked at them and I, I didn't. I didn't know the two kids. I really didn't. And it was sort of like, well, who are they then? And it was like, and they went, oh well, that's Frank Lampard Junior, because um, Frank Lampard Senior was a coach under Harry Redknapp, so they was both at the club at the same time. And I went, who's that tall lad? You know, skinny lad. And they went, oh, that's Rio Ferdinand. And I'm mm. like, I'm being honest, I hadn't heard of the two boys, but you know, when I sort of I asked about it, and then you, I spoke to the youth team manager, and he went, Do you know what, these two they're going to be really good young players and everything. And then they started playing with the first team, and then. I played against Rio a couple of times in training and bearing in mind it would have been what 16, 17 years of age and it was it was very hard to get past him as a 17 year old, let alone what he was going to go on to become as a player. So, you know, it was great. And then um against I think I'm right in saying against Coventry, I think Frank Lampard came on for his debut as a West Ham player and I went off the field of play. So without me, Frank Lampard is never gonna make his West Ham career. <laughs> no, so, hell no. Or, or Chelsea. So uh, 
you know, I think hopefully he might thank thank me for that one day. But um, no, it was happy times, and uh, you know, as a as an academy graduate myself, it's always nice. I think when you see the kids, you know, we've had like Mark Noble, obviously Declan Rice, young mm -hmm. Ben Johnson's been playing, and you know, all young kids who have come through the academy at West Ham, which is great news. Um, let's go to, I mean, uh, to set this up, it's weird when you see. It's, it's, it's rare. It's not weird, I'd say. It's rare when you see a, a British player go off to a foreign league. I mean, Gareth Bell, Jaden Sancho, they're, they're a few names that have obviously gone to very big clubs. But you you went to Malaysia, I believe. Yeah, you went yeah. to a team called uh, Salango. Yeah, very good, Kat. Very good. There we go. I, I, did my, I, did, I did my research. I did my research. <laughs> and this is where you won your... I mean, one one question. This, this is where you won your first uh, professional trophy as a player, he was the Malaysian FA Cup. Yep. yep. So, I mean, what was the decision to go to Malaysia? What was going through your thought process? Why did they appeal to you? Well, it was it was all a bit bizarre, really, because I, I, when I went back to West Ham, I'm thinking, well, I've had my six years away. You know, I'm coming back to the club that I love and um, I'm going to stay at West Ham forevermore now. I think when I went back, I'm trying to think how old I was. I went back in 94, so I was 29 years of age. So I'm thinking mm -hmm. I could play another four, five, six years for West Ham, retire at 35, which I did in the end anyway. Um, so I had no intention of leaving the club whatsoever. But what had happened is um, during the, during the pre-season, my third season back at West Ham, as I say, I was top scorer for two seasons. Pre-season, I got injured. I injured my calf muscle. I was out for about six weeks and... Also, during the summer and during the time I was out injured, Harry Redknapp had signed a lot of European players. And I don't know whether you remember them. There was like Dumitrescu, Radichoyu, Dani, Palo Futre. Um, Ian Dowie was at the club as well. So there was a lot of forward players at the club. And when I got back to fitness, I think it was pretty clear, for whatever reason, that I think Harry had made his mind up that, I don't know whether he did, he, I don't know, it's sort of a bit harsh and he didn't want me, but... I was very much a fifth or sixth choice striker. And I sort of, and I'm thinking to myself, well, this is a bit weird because I've been top scorer for two seasons running. And now just because I've been injured, you know, oh, listen, maybe I could have stayed and waited and fought for my place a little bit. But I was, I was probably, what, 30 years, maybe 31 years of age coming up. And I'm thinking, I, I don't want to be sitting on the bench. And I didn't want to be, um, I wanted to play. That's the bottom line. I wanted to play. And I thought, you know, if I can't play at West Ham, I don't really want to leave, but I'm going to have to accept I might have to move on. And, you know, I honestly thought that not necessarily a Premier League club will come in for me, but I thought, well, a championship club should come in for me. And if I don't play Premier League, I'll play a championship. I wanted to play football. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, about two or three weeks went by and not one single club. There's, bearing in mind, there's 92 clubs in England. Mm. Not one club came in for me. And I'm thinking, wow. And, and out of the blue, you know, Harry said to me, he said, look, Salangor will come in for you in Malaysia. And I'd been to Malaysia um, on a pre-season tour for Everton back, back oh, about eight years previous. So I'm, I'd been to Malaysia. I knew um, like Kuala Lumpur. I knew how hot it was. And I, you know, I knew about the weather, etc. I knew it was going to be a real tough experience. Um, but I, I sort of flew out there and then they flew me back and then the manager was putting me under pressure. You know, you, are you going to sign? Are you going to... And Harry was going, well, West Ham need money. You know, they, they'd spent a lot of money. They was, they, they was going to be in financial trouble, basically, if I didn't move on. And I thought, well, you know, I've got a decision to make here. And I thought, you know what? Sorry, I'm just going to... Two years, I'm going to go sign for two years. I thought, you know, a tax, bit of tax-free money. I thought, ah, a nice little payday at the end of my career. And I come back 
and I'll play for one of my local clubs. I'll play for Orient or South End, Colchester, whatever, and, you know, just wind my career down. I, you know, I'd had 12 years as a in a, a high-profile, top-flight career. And uh, so I signed for um, Selangor, and as soon as I signed, the manager resigned. So <laughs> the manager who signed me, I never played one game for him. So, which was a bit bizarre. And then um, the manager who took over was a guy called Steve Wicks, who I played against. He used to play for Chelsea QPR. He took over as manager and we had a lot of fun. And Steve was very much, you know, he wanted to get the best out of me. But if I describe it, boys, as um, I had a nice holiday. Mm. That's the best mm. way of describing my football experience. <laughs> yeah. It was... Um, it was interesting to say the least. And I, seriously, I, I, I'd done a load of traveling. I went to Australia, New Zealand, Bali, um, Singapore. Um, I'd done all this traveling and everything. It was great, you know, just to go around all the different places down in the Far East and, and uh, you know, Australasia and all that. So I loved that side of it. But the football, it, it was just too hot for me. It really was too hot. And mm. I really, really struggled to run around. I couldn't breathe. And, uh, have you guys been to Florida? No. Yes. Oh, yes. Right, okay. If you've been to Florida, you know how hot it gets, how humid, and you get that rain comes down about four yeah. rain down in about 20 minutes, doesn't it? And Malaysia is very, very similar temperatures. And it's like one of our, Kojo, one of our stuffy summer's days. You know, when those, one of those days where you can't breathe and it's like mm. 95 degrees. And that was what it was like in Malaysia. The hot, every day, every day was 95 degrees. And... You know, to train in it, to play in it was just really, really difficult for me. And um, in the end, like my, my wife at the time, she fell pregnant and, and I, I was, um, we were going to have twin boys and she sort of went back to live in England. I ended up by six or seven weeks in, on my own in Malaysia. And it was very tough for me, really tough. And uh, in the end, um, you know, I, I wanted to come home. And, uh, you know, I, as I said, I was happy to play lower league football. That wasn't the issue. So, of course, I'm thinking to myself, when I leave Malaysia, that if no one wanted me when you leave, no one's going to want you when you come back. So, um, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And then out of the blue, you know, Leicester came in for me. And uh, I ended up, I had three years at Leicester and they was three of the most successful years of my career, which was at the age of 32, 33 and 34 for the three seasons. You know, I, it was a real sort of Indian summer for me in terms of my football career to have an experience at Leicester that I just never, ever expected. So to sum up Malaysia... Um, lovely holiday, really nice people out there and everything. But football-wise, it was a bit of a... You, you mentioned the word disaster. I think I had an Alexis Sanchez in Malaysia. It was definitely a bit of a disaster. <laughs> um, all right, let's come to Leicester because I wanted to ask you, for me, it was an interesting question because when I was watching some um, videos of you, you had a wonderful partnership with Emil Heskey. Yeah. Um how good was that partnership and how would you compare it to your partnership with Frank McAvenny? Yeah, a different partnership, obviously. Funny enough, I was doing some TV work yesterday and I was actually with Emil and it was sort of, <laughs> oh, I hadn't I seen him for a while. So it was great. We was in the studio together. And um, what was funny, they, they said, we've we dug out a clip of, of uh, one of the goals that you was both involved in, right? So I said to the guy, I said, I can guarantee you that the clip will be me scoring the goal and Emil doing the hard work and creating the goal. And then, yeah. of course, you see him beat a few players, chips the ball in, and I've headed it in from about two yards out. And I, I think it pretty much summed up the, the partnership we had. Um, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of the people watching this will remember the partnership that uh, Emil had with Michael Owen for England, mm -hmm. which was an outstanding partnership, by the way. Mm -hmm. And it, and it 
very similar. You know, listen, Michael played for England and done much better for England than I ever did. But when I played club football, I had a very, very similar understanding with Emil. Um, he was a big, strong boy, but he was very talented, very, very quick. And he, he could take players on and he would brush them aside and he'd beat two, three players. He'd cross the ball and then there I was doing what some people think is the easy bit. It's, also, it's really the hard bit, which is to put the ball in the back of the net. But, um, you know, he used to do all the hard work. I used to, he used to do all the running around. And I, when the ball was played down the middle, I said, Emil, your ball, it's not my ball. You go and hit that one. I'll, I'll get on the glory. And so we had, um, we had a really great understanding and we played together. We were saying it was, I think it was just under three years together. Yeah. And I loved every minute of playing up front with him. You know, we had, we had a really good team, Leicester. You know, I mean, it's proven that, you know, that we... We played in two cup finals. We lost the first one against Spurs and we beat Tranmere in the second one. That ended up, that was my only domestic cup final that I won. I had five finals, lost four and I won the last one. Um, but, you know, we had a really good team. You know, we had Tim Flowers in goal. He was an international goalkeeper. We had Matt Elliott, Jerry Taggart, international defenders. Frank Sinclair, who was an international defender. Uh, Steve Guppy, uh, Is it Lennon, Savage. You know, we had some really, really good players in that team. And, uh, you know, we had our unique team spirit, if you like, and the, the style of play, how we played and what we did and everything. And we used to laugh and joke about it. But if you look back at that team, it was a very, very good team. And on our day, we was we was capable of, of beating, a, you know, the top two teams in the late 90s were obviously Arsenal and Manchester United. And we, we was capable of beating Arsenal and Manchester United. You know, we was capable of beating Liverpools and Chelsea's and that. You know, we didn't do it regular, but on our day, we was a really, really good team. And I loved it. I loved great time at Leicester. Oh, that's the thing. See, so who's that? Is that you? Oh yeah, I've turned off. Don't worry. Oh, okay. Kojo, come on, Kojo. I'm professional. <laughs> it's my dad. He's watching. That's what he's calling me the wrong time. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like you said, the hard part is actually putting the goal, the ball in the back of the net, scoring the goal, and you were very prolific at that. Obviously, I fox in the box, goal poacher, which kind of. I'd say maybe Jamie Vardy today, but uh, is the closest. But back in the day, I mean, you scored loads of headers, which surprised me considering the most of the surprise defenders at the time because how good you were in the air, considering that you're five foot seven. I'm, am I right? And a half. Don't you look, okay, you missed, missed the half. Don't forget the half. Five foot seven. I, 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 I apologize. I, I sincerely apologize. I mean, so what was the. Um, when you were in that box, what was the most important thing for you? Obviously, apart from putting the ball in the back of the net, where were you? Where were you aiming to be when that ball was delivered? Uh, it's, it's another one of those questions. It's, it's really hard to answer it. I mean, I think I, I knew from probably from about the age of six or seven, I would say that um, I knew that I had something different to the other players. Um, you know, I, I started as I grew up in Romford. I'm playing Sunday football. And I just seem to always be in the right position to score a goal. And, you know, you, you, you can't teach that. You you know, you mentioned Jamie Vardy. He's a wonderful player. Um, I mean, another player who's playing up in Scotland at the moment, he's had a great career, Jermaine Defoe. is another mm. sort of goal scorer. And then before that, you had Michael Owen, Bobby Fowler. And then before that, you had your, your my generation of Clive Allens, uh, Gary Linekers, Ian Rush, you know, Ian Wright, you know, Les Ferdinand, fantastic goal scorers. And then before that, you had your Jimmy Greaves and all the all the top boys before that. So, but if you ask any one of those players that I mentioned, if you said to them, you know, was you different? Did you have a talent that made you different as a footballer? I'm pretty certain that they would all say the same thing that, you know, you're you're born with a specific talent, 
And what you have to do, though, is you have to harness that talent and you have to develop it and try and get it from uh, what starts off as Sunday football and then you start off as youth football and then you obviously go into being an apprentice and then you've then got to transfer all that skills and everything you learn into becoming a professional footballer, which is the hard bit. And, you know, I think when you get to a certain age, and you boys will know this, when you get to the age of 14 or 15 and you, you get girls coming into your life, you get drink coming into your life, you you might get drugs or whatever it might. It, you know, so many things happen at that age, don't they? So many temptations. Mm. And the, the reason I say that is because as a youngster, it's very difficult to keep on the straight and narrow because you get all these temptations. And, you know, there was players that as a 12 and 13-year-old players, that was much better than me. But I kept my focus and went down the path and these boys went over there and over there and they just drifted out of football and... You know, you have to be dedicated and you have to work hard. You have to practice and there's an awful lot that comes into it. But um, in answer to your question, as a goal scorer, it's something that I think you're blessed with. I think you're born with a God-given talent that enables you, for some reason, when everyone runs towards the ball, you run the other way or you mm. walk the other way. And sometimes you stand still, you know, because football movement, it's not all about running. It, it can be walking. It can be, listen, I watch Lionel Messi, like you boys watch Lionel Messi. I've never seen anyone walk so much in a game as much as Lionel Messi. But when he gets the ball, is there ever anyone within 10 yards of him? Mm. He's in so much space. And you think, you just say, well, hold on a sec, surely they must put someone on him. They must say, it's, I mean, I mean, it must have been man-marked so many times. And, and yet the man-marker can't get anywhere near him. And that is, again, please don't think I'm comparing myself to Lionel Messi. I would never do that. But I'm trying, what I'm trying to say is that he's got, um, yeah, he's got all the skills in the world. He's got everything. So is Cristiano Ronaldo. So is Neymar. They're, they're on a different level, those boys. But I had one specific talent which made me have the career that I had, which was the ability to be in the right place at the right time to score the goals that I scored. And... You know, yes, I had to work very hard. There was no luck involved because I had to work really, really hard. The only luck that probably was involved in my career, I would say, was when my first game that we spoke about right at the start, because Paul Goddard got injured. So when a player gets mm. injured, you have a little bit of luck. That player can't play. You get the luck and you get and you get the chance to start. But that's where your luck finishes because there's no luck in scoring a goal on your debut or scoring another 290 goals after that. You know, it's... There's no lucky involved. People say, oh, you was lucky. And I said, well, I wasn't lucky. I had to work really hard, practice. And the the skills that I was given, I had to make sure that I de developed them and made the most of my career. And yeah, listen, I, I look back, I had a fabulous career. 20 years as a, as a professional footballer, you know, you know, even to play 20 years is a great achievement because a lot of players only played 10 years or 12 years or whatever, you know. So to play for 20 years in itself was an achievement for me. But I look back and I've got very, very few regrets, very few regrets. You know, I had a wonderful time and I, I wish I'd have earned a bit more money. But as I explained, I just didn't play in the Premier League era, really. And, that, you know, but I can't change that. But I had a great time and, you know, I, I tried to make the most of my goal scoring talent. And I'd like to think that I've done that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, got you for a couple more minutes. So I'm just going to ask you quickly. Um, what is your current thoughts on what West Ham are doing right now? And especially David Moyes. No, it's taken a while, wouldn't it? It's taken 15 minutes of me talking about <laughs> <laughs> West Ham. We spoke about Arsenal. Oh, Throw it back in there. 
listen, they, they're doing they're doing great, aren't they? I mean, Moisey, I'm, I'm so pleased for Moisey. Uh, he, he's um he's a really really nice guy. I've not been to the training ground for about a year now for obvious reasons. You're not allowed down there. Um, but whenever I go to the training ground, he's very very warm, very welcoming. Um, I think he understands what it means to play for West Ham United Football Club, which is always a great start. And you know, bear in mind, he nearly got relegated last season. You know, to be where they are. Um, you know, he's done a fantastic job. They've got some really, really good players. And, you know, to be in fourth position, um, you know, is, is an achievement in itself. I, I just hope that they can get into Europe. And by that, I'm not saying that they're going to get into the Champions League. Uh, you know, even if they get into the Europa League, I think that would be an outstanding achievement, bearing in mind what happened last season. And, you know, they, they lost 2-0 at home to Newcastle in the first game as well, at which point everyone's going, oh, West Ham are rubbish. They're going to be used to it. Then Arsenal beat us in the second game and, you know, it could so easily have gone the other way this season, mm. but they really rejuvenated themselves, picked themselves up, and you know they play some really good football. And I think they're enjoyable to watch. Even like you, you know, if you two sat down to watch West Ham as a neutral, you'd say, Do you know what? They're not a bad team, West Ham this Obviously, year. And yeah. you know, I think they're, so there's very, there's definitely similarities with our team that finished third and the team that's obviously doing so well at the moment. And I think everyone liked watching us that season, and the, uh, the same applies this season. So. Listen, I, I haven't got the crystal ball. I know I predicted which two teams you two support, but in terms of West Ham, um, I reckon uh, my heart my heart says they're going to finish in the top four. That's obviously my heart, but my, I think my head is saying probably fifth, sixth, maybe seventh, I think. But I will take that, and that will be a really good season. Hopefully gets in the Europa League as well. We're going to end with a few quick-fire questions. Alex. Cool, boys, go on. Let's, let's, get them, let's get them going. So, best goal you ever scored? Best goal, uh, apart from a debut, which I've already waffled on about, Phil. That, that was more personal reason. Best goal, I scored an overhead kick for uh, for West Ham against Forest yeah, in yeah, 1988. Yeah. And you, you yeah. mentioned YouTube, Kojo. Go on to YouTube, have a look at my overhead kick. And they go on about... Oh, we, we, we've watched that many times already yeah. today. It's not a story. <laughs> it wasn't bad, was it? It was really no, good. Stunning. Wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, best coach you play for? Um, oh, uh, some great managers. I mean, I mentioned Harry Redknapp, uh, Howard Kendall at Everton, uh, Martin O'Neill at Leicester was wonderful. Uh, Sir, Sir Bobby Robson was my England manager. All four were wonderful managers. But the one I would always single praise out for was John Lowell, my first ever manager. And, you know, to just to give a 17-year-old a debut and then to keep him in the team like he did. You know, it doesn't happen nowadays. So without John Lowe, I would never have had... I wouldn't be sitting talking to you boys now, you know. So without John, nothing happened. So John Lowe's the answer. Best player you played with? Oh, uh, I think I briefly mentioned him and I, I'm, it might surprise a few people, but I'm going to go for Alan Devonshire. And uh, again, you, the youngsters will say Alan Devonshire, but if you, if you could get a clip of Alan Devonshire playing, he played on the left side of midfield and he could glide past players. He was very, very quick and very creative as well. He's a wonderful player. Um, I played with Trevor Brookin. I played with Peter Beardsley as well. Um, and I played in the England squad with Gaza, with Glenn Hoddle, with Ray Wilkins, Brian Robson. You know, incredible players. But from, at club level, Alan Devonshire was the best player for me. Worst player to play against? Oh, um I don't know. I mean, I think Hanson and Lawrenson were, were really good. The, the Liverpool team in the mid-80s was an incredible team. Um, but I probably would go for Paul McGrath, um, you know, a Man United boy. Hey, look, he's, he's perked up. There'll be a smile on his face. You know, you mentioned Man United. But um, no, he was, um, 
he was like a Rolls Royce. He was, uh, you know, bearing in mind he didn't train. He, you know, he liked to drink or two, and he, he, everything you shouldn't do as a football he was doing. And and yet you'd play against him, and you know you you'd go to run down like the side of the pitch and that, and he'd he'd always get there before you. And you think, how does he do that? And he he just he, he he read the game beautifully, and he was always in the right position. So it made him it made him really tough to play against. And final question. Who wins in a match? 85-86 West Ham or current West Ham? 85-86. The problem is, though, we're all 50 and 60 years of age, so I don't know if we played. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it's so hard to compare, is it? I mean, um, listen, we, we've, we've finished our season and I don't think we can really judge this current team until we finish the current season. Once, once this season finishes, we've got 12 games left. If they finish third, then you know all us boys. We're we're very close knit. The, the lads, you know Frank McAvenny and all the boys I played with, we're, we're still very close. And all of us will go well played. You know, if they finish third, we'll all be so pleased because it's been a long time. It's been thirty five years now since West Ham finished in third position. So if they can finish anywhere in that top four, I think we'll all go Champions League. What an incredible achievement that was! So hopefully we'll be talking about it at the end of the season, but. Um, in answer to your question, I think the 85-86 just had a little bit more flair in the team. I think that's my honest opinion, but I'm going to be biased. And what do you expect me to say? I'm not going to say. <laughs> Tony Cotty, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, Coach, sign off for us. Where, where can they find us? Um, you can find us obviously here on YouTube at Free Midfield Podcast. You can find us on uh, Spotify at Free Midfield, Twitter Free Midfield, Apple Podcast Free Midfield, and SoundCloud Free in Midfield. Thank you to everyone in the comments. Everyone that's been watching, Tony, much love in there for you as well. Much Cheers, love for joining us and um, have a nice evening. Cool. This has been the Freeman Full Podcast. Good night.